I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're going to go back to our study of Genesis, but it's so relevant because it fits with all of us today. You know, a lot of things are going to go on this week in America, and uh, I pray that um, your foundation is in Christ. Anywhere else is shifting sand. You know, the Bible tells us to make our foundation sure. Now, it's something we can't do in ourselves, but something that God can do in us if we allow him to. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you as we read these words, there's going to be a lot of temptation in the believer's life. And how do you, how do you stand against temptation? Well, the Bible tells us there's a lot of different ways. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, again, this resisting, how do we do that? You know, you don't just say, okay, devil, I'm going to duke it out with you. He'll tear your head off because, again, our battle is not in the flesh, but it is in the spirit. And so the Bible tells us how we fight the enemy. Now, again, the enemy is very shrewd. The Bible tells us that our enemy, the devil, Peter says, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And the words there, and we study in the Bible about how the devil looks at us, he looks at us as if he was a general trying to destroy a city. He studies us to find out where our weaknesses are, and then he makes his move. Now again, this is why I believe, this is why Jesus said to be instant, in season and out of season. Because when we're in season, we're going to be strong. When we're out of season, playing on the wrong side of the fence, doing those kinds of things, I believe it could make us tremendously vulnerable to the wiles of the enemy. In other words, the wile of the enemy, the lie of the enemy becomes believable when we let our guard down. And there's nothing more the devil wants to do than for you to let your guard down. Now, how do we resist? Well, a lot of times the Bible tells us there's many different ways. It depends what the battle is. If our battle against the devil is something spiritual, God doesn't love you, you're a cosmic accident, you are a mistake, you should have never been born, all that kind of stuff, the Bible tells us how we meet that. We meet that with the word of God. We remember Jesus on the mount right before he began his earthly ministry, after he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the devil came to him in different ways. He said, if you're really God's son, after he'd fasted for 40 days, command this stone to be made bread. And Jesus quoted to him the scripture. Every time until the last time in which the devil begins to quote scripture to Jesus. If you're really God's son, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written in in, in Psalms that the devil, that God will bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Satan begins to quote scripture to Jesus. Man, I'll tell you, talk about a tricky enemy. Man, if you can't beat them, join them. But sometimes in the Bible, we find we just have to physically remove ourselves from that which will destroy your life. Let's open our Bibles again to the book of Genesis chapter 39. And the reason I say this is because we're going to be faced with a lot of temptations, I believe, in this new year to run. 
to be fearful. And the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of boldness and a sound mind. So if we play on the wrong side of the fence, we will begin to believe the lies. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that you would open our eyes up to the treasures that are here lying in your word and by your Holy Spirit that this was written, that your Holy Spirit would communicate to us and show us exactly what you want us to do when we are confronted with various temptations. And so we ask you now for your spirit of love to cause us to remember these things and so may we keep them Close to our heart, in Jesus' name, amen. We find here in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis, the continuation of the story of the life of Joseph. Now remember, Joseph had 11 brothers. And we remember those brothers sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Now remember, Jesus was loved as well by his father as Joseph was loved by Jacob. But his brothers, his kindred, his his family hated him. Jesus was loved by his father, but the Jewish nation did not accept Jesus as their Messiah. The parallels between Joseph and Jesus are amazing. So his brothers, wanting to kill him, rather than killing him, put him into a pit. And some Ishmaelites were going down to a swap meet in Egypt. And they said, well, instead of killing them, why don't we just sell them and we'll make some money? And so they sold their brother for 20 pieces of silver. Remember, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now, again, Jesus was our slave. He took upon himself our sin. Joseph became their slave and was sold into slavery. Now, Joseph, verse 1, had been taken down to Egypt. Uh, Not by his own will, friends. He was in slavery. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So, He was about 17 years old. We remember that they took Joseph's coat and they tore it all up and put animal blood on it and went to their father and said, look, daddy, I guess a wild animal must have ate your son. And it said that they watched their father in grief, weeping over the loss of his son, Joseph, all the while knowing that they were lying to their dad. How hard-hearted people can become when they enter into sin. Well, notice it says he was taken down to Egypt. Now, that's really important because he's now in a culture that he doesn't know. He's in a group of people with language that he did not know. The way they did things, the way they operated, he was completely out of his league. Not only as a slave, but now also completely out of anything that resembled home at all to him. Potiphar, his name means devoted to the sun. This is probably part of his Egyptian background. And Potiphar was a high-ranking official, it says, an officer of Pharaoh. 
uh, captain of the guard. He was the head of the SS. He was the head of the police department. He was over all the law enforcement is what this meant. This guy was a high-ranking dude, saw Joseph and bought him as a slave. Now, we find him now, uh, Joseph, in a different world. Verse 2 is an ironic verse. And if you like to underline things in your Bible, I would underline this verse. The Lord was with Joseph. Oh, really? He was sold into slavery by his brothers, rejected by his family. He's in a culture that he doesn't know. He was sold as a slave and the Lord was with him. Wow. You know, usually we picture if the Lord is with somebody, you're driving around with tinted glass and airco, but not him. God was with him, but he was in a very difficult situation. You might find yourself like this today. You might say, well, I'm a Christian. Mike, I lost my job or I'm broke or whatever else it might be. But know this, the Lord was with him. You see, God looks at circumstances differently than we look at ourselves. When God appeared to Gideon as he was in a wine hole, a wine press, uh, 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 down in a, in, a, in a pit, thrashing wheat, trying to hide their wheat harvest from the Midianites who would randomly come stage rage and take their food. Gideon is down in a hole throwing the wheat up in the air and a chaff sticking to him and all the sweat. And this angel appears to him and says, thou mighty man of valor. I could just see, I could just see Gideon looking around going, who are you talking to, Leroy? I mean, after all, he's hiding in a hole. But God sees us differently than we see ourselves. How important then is it that you see yourself the way God sees you? Now, how do we get that? By reading his word. Because God reminds us your 2020 is not God's 2020. I like that about God. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, when you see this, you have to know something, friends. God's plan for your life is bigger than what you think it is. Right now, in Joseph's life, I would say, loser, completely. Everything in his life has gone wrong, but the Lord was with him. Isn't it weird how God arranges us in our lives to do certain jobs for him? Now notice it says, the Lord was with him. He was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made him uh, all that he did to prosper in his hand. Isn't this weird that just Joseph's day-to-day behavior was a testimony of the God that he served? I like that. In other words, the Egyptian knew God was real because of the way Joseph responded to his daily affairs. Friends, that's important. Somebody said one time, we as Christians witness every day and if necessary, use words. I believe that's very true. Because again, we need to be about our father's business. And so it says that he was a testimony of his God because of his behavior. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. 
Then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had was put into his hand. Talk about a lot of trust. From an Egyptian who bought this guy at a yard sale. Now over all of his goods. Now remember, he was a high-ranking Egyptian official. And by the way, it also is interesting here because it tells us here that most of the people who were in the Egyptian hierarchy were eunuchs. Now whether, it, and the reason why, is so they would be totally devoted to the government. Which may set up a little bit of the story as we're going to be reading here a little time farther. Now notice it says, he found favor, made him overseer, in verse 5. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, all that he had The Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. And I've shared this many times. You being a Christian in your business, your business will be blessed because of you. Not that God thinks they're so good. And I've seen this happen in my own life. I've seen where God had me in a situation and used it and blessed the company I was working for. And when I left, the company fell apart. No, would God do that? He certainly will, and he'll do that for you. Why? Because God will take care of you no matter what the circumstances are. He will bless the company, even though that company is not ran by Christians. He will bless the company because you're, the employ- you're employed by them. The Bible says you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Don't lose track of who you are. And so he says, and so he says, he blessed the Egyptian for Jacob's, for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that was in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had from the bread which he ate. This guy had so much stuff, he put Joseph in charge of it. He goes, I don't even know what I got anymore. You take care of it. Wow, he was working for a rich guy. And notice it also says, and Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. This is only said two other times in the Bible. It was concerning King David and Absalom are the only two other people in the Bible that the Bible says were extremely good looking. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, it is interesting. The Bible says that Jesus was not good looking from the way men see it. In fact, the Bible says in him there was no comeliness that we would desire him. So it's interesting that Jesus didn't stand out in the crowd. And and I, I always think that's interesting when Jesus went to Nazareth and he went to synagogue as his, as his custom was and he was sitting down here in his hometown And it was called upon him to read the scripture. And so he began to read about how Messiah was to come. And somebody stood up and said, only the Messiah can fulfill that. And Jesus said, these things have come true in your ears today. And they got so angry with Jesus here in his hometown. Somebody they grew up with, they, they, they wanted to take him and throw him off the cliff. And the Bible says Jesus disappeared into the crowd. Wow. Think about that for a minute. 
He disappeared into the crowd. How did he do that? Because I would have simply thought, get the guy with the halo. Get the guy that's glowing in the dark. Get the blue-eyed and blonde-haired Irishman. I've seen the pictures in the Christian bookstores, okay? The Bible says he disappeared in the crowd. Why? Because he looked like everybody. Get the really good-looking one. And say that. He disappeared in the crowd. Why? He looked like everybody else. There was nothing in Jesus' form that you'd say, wow, now that's a movie star. He was just like us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not come to this earth to put on a show as he was born in a manger, as he was raised in a, a very poor level of society. Jesus never intimidated anyone from where he came from. You ever been around somebody of somewhat? You don't know what I mean? Go up to Sun Valley sometimes. And uh, my niece used to work up at one of the coffee shops in Sun Valley. And every once in a while, Arnold or Schwarzenegger or somebody else would come in for coffee. And she said it was really fun to watch people around a movie star. Somebody of somewhat. They would come up and like, I, I, I watched all your movies. Yeah, that's what I do. I'm a movie star. They would act weird around somebody that they viewed of somewhat. But Jesus never came across as being a somewhat to intimidate anyone. Friends, I like that about Jesus. You see, just as I am, I can come to him. And because he loves me, he'll change me into what he wants me to be. Verse 7 goes on. After we have been informed that he was extremely good looking. Verse 7. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said to him, lie with me. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, tell me stories that aren't true. She wanted to boogie-woogie. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. Now, this is interesting. By this statement... He doesn't know what is going on in his house. He's entrusted everything to me. So we could really do this and get away with it since he's probably gone most of the time because he don't even know what he's got. You see, convenience is always the Petri dish for sin. You know, when you were in high school, remember when you were in science class and they put this clear looking jelly gooey stuff in a little petri, just a little clear lid looking thing. And you would touch it with your finger and you'd put the lid on it, put it in a little incubator and you'd come back a week later and things would be dancing in the petri dish. Fungaloid and all kinds of weird stuff would be going on all from just touching it. Well, there's certain Things, ingredients that go into sin, friends. Now, again, this helps us identify 
what we do so we know how to combat it. The Bible doesn't keep us ignorant, not only for, as an example, who God is in his power, but how and why sin happens. I remember somebody coming to say, the devil's after me. Really? Yeah, the devil's after me. And I said, wow, you must be doing something pretty special against the kingdom of darkness for him to devote his time to destroy you. Well, what's going on? Well, and they began to share with me how that they get into certain sin when they get around a certain group of people and buy certain things that they know alter their mind. I go, you know what? I'm not saying that the devil doesn't have help and demons aren't the influencers of power of suggestion. But let me tell you something, they are real. That's why the Bible says to resist the devil, he'll flee from us. But the other thing is, they put themselves in a place where the temptation can happen. In other words, there's the old saying, I got my arm broken five places. Well, then stay out of them places. It's true. If you find sin happening at a certain place, at a certain time, around certain people, common sense, wisdom, and the unction of the Holy Spirit would say, get away from those people. There are places and things that are ingredients to sin. Now notice, he says, God's given me, or your master has given me, your husband's given me control over everything. He don't even know what he's got. I'm controller of everything going on. Evidently, this guy was probably very very um, enthralled in the government, which would have left a lot of free time for his wife and Joseph. And he actually indicates that. But notice verse 8 again, but he refused. Now again, resist the devil, they'll flee from you. There is no one greater, verse 9, in the house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this? Notice who he would be sinning against. How could I do this terrible thing against Potiphar? It doesn't say that. Notice what it says. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now friends, again, ultimately sin is against God. And when we stop to think about that, this is why even when David got into it with Bathsheba, and we remember his confession in the book of Psalms, and he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Well, what about Uriah, his wife, that he had killed? And what about all the other things that were going on? He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Because ultimately sin is against God. There are the trickle-down effects... But when you're really looking at who we sin against, we sin against God. And so he says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph, notice day by day that he did not heed to her to lie with her or to be with her. 
got himself out of a place of danger, which I think is very wise. And But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. The indication was that men in those days wore outer robes. That's just the way, they, that's why the Bible says to gird your robe. Well, when you gird your robe, you would pull your robe up so you could run real fast. Otherwise, your legs would get tangled up in your robe. Now, I always thought this was interesting because back in the, the uh, uh, late 60s, early 70s, a lot of the straight line um, churches, you might say, were saying, well, it's terrible for women to wear slacks. And I pointed out, I said, but do you realize men were wearing dresses? They were wearing robes. So if you're going to say that a man is in woman's apparel, men in, basically what the Bible talks about in that particular topic is, if you're a woman, look like a woman. If you're a man, look like a man. Don't confuse them. Know what bathroom you're supposed to go into. I think that's reasonable. But the thing is, is that he had his outer robe on. Well, she grabbed him by it and pulled it off of him. Well, this creates a bit of a difficulty. But he left his garment in her hand, fled, and ran outside. He ran outside in an underwear. Reminds me of that old song that they had years ago on the radio. Running bear down the sidewalk. No, that's not the song. But the point is, is that she grabbed him, his clothes, and he ran outside. And so it was. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he's brought this Hebrew to us to mock us. And he came to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. She got busted, but blamed him. Wow. Now, I want you to go back and look at a verse to bring comfort. Verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. So the Lord was with Joseph. He gets sold into slavery by his brothers. His dad believes he's dead. He ends up in a different culture than he was raised in, doesn't even know the language. Being tempted and instead of being rewarded by God for not doing it with Pharaoh's wife, he's now in trouble. She's saying, he tried to rape me. And the Lord was with Joseph. Man, I'll tell you, friends, beware when all men speak well of you. Because they did that of the false prophets of old. And so it says, it happened. When he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until her master came home. And then she spoke to him. With words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought to us came into me to mock me. 
And so it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did this to me after this manner, his anger was aroused. Notice it does not say at Joseph. That's weird, isn't it? And he said, I'm going to kill that Hebrew. No, he didn't say that at all, did he? I got a funny feeling that probably he knew his wife was a floozy. I got a feeling that there was probably a reputation. Notice it says the other men of the house. Maybe there was other men there. Maybe he knew this was going on all along. I don't know. It just says his anger was aroused, but he has to do something. Why? He's a high-ranking government official. What am I going to do with Joseph? I believe that he knew Joseph was a good man. I believe he knew that. It already says that he knew it. And that God had exceedingly blessed Potiphar because of Joseph present being in the home. And this is weird. Now all of a sudden he's got a problem. What is he going to do? In those days, if a foreigner and especially someone out of your culture did something like this, what would be the result? Execution. Absolutely, without a doubt. In fact, in those days, like today, we, we, you, can, you can literally murder people and nothing happens to you. But in the days of Rome, in the days of Egypt, life was cheap, friends. It just was. In fact, you remember Jesus, the Bible says, was crucified between the murderers. No. He was crucified between the thieves. Stealing would get you dead. Isn't that weird? See, in our culture today, we value life so high that crime is now popular. In fact, I heard New York, California, if you're from California, um, somebody said one time, if you picked up Maine, the United States by Maine, you know, next to Vermont, and shook it, all the loose nuts and flakes would all settle on, in Southern California. I don't know if that's true. That's where I'm from. I understand this. But the governor is releasing hardcore criminals on the street. Murders and rapists. And, and, and to get into a prison in California, you've got to be pretty bad in the first place. He's releasing them in the name of COVID-19 and in place putting business owners that do not or can't comply with the COVID social distancing rules. Ah! You put criminals on the street and people that are business owners that can't comply to your stupid rules, you're putting them in jail instead. This is the wisdom of fools. Also in New York, I don't know what they do in those states, to bring them to that kind of limited understanding that even they themselves don't comply to the rules. Well, if you don't wear your mask, it's a fine, and they catch Governor Newsom not wearing his mask. Nothing happens to them, but to everybody else, you're in trouble. And you look at this, you realize, what's going on? Where is common sense? Well, that's the problem, friends. It says that Potiphar's anger was aroused. If he kills Joseph, he knows Joseph's a good man. But if he doesn't do something after the scene that she made, now let's go back to where the scene was made. She cried out, 
to the other men that were there in the household. So everybody knew of this incident. What is he going to do now? Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners are confined. And he was there in prison. Now, just a little bit of a timeline here. He was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was 17 years old. And for 11 years, for 11 years, he served Potiphar. Now, 11 years is a long time, and you build a relationship with people, especially to the point where you're entrusting him with everything that you have. 11 years serving as a slave to an Egyptian home. But wait, it gets worse. He gets thrown into prison, friends, for two years because he never did anything wrong, because he did what he believed God wanted him to do. And instead of being rewarded for it, he's punished for it. Do you think you got it so bad? I'll tell you, sometimes when I read the Bible and I have my little personal pity party, woe is me. And I begin to read about these guys, what they went through, what they endured to remain faithful to God. I go, gosh, God, I don't have it that bad. I'm just really grateful that, Lord, you've allowed me to do what I've done. Do you think any of us, you, me, anybody, you're going to serve God and not be attacked by the enemy? Like the lady that said, man, the devil's after me, Mike. Well, what are you doing that's such a threat to the kingdom of darkness that you have somehow have gotten the devotion of the devil to wreck your life? Or is it you're allowing yourself to be in positions where you should never be? And yeah, we, we cause most of our own problems, friends, don't we? We don't need any help from him. But when you become a threat to the kingdom of darkness, the devil takes notice. The devil takes notice. You wonder why you go through the things you go through? You wonder why this church has gone through the things it's gone through? Do you realize we did a, we, we added up. You know, when you go out the door here and you walk around and you look at the map on the wall and you see our radio stations, do you realize that one over one-third of America, one-third of America is listening to us live on the radio today. One-third of America. I'll tell you, from a bean field in Idaho, that's pretty amazing. That's what God's done. So the enemy's just going to step back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, just reach the, right, reach the nation and the, and the world for Christ. I'm just saying that's what we have that goes over the air. We reach one-third of America over the air through the radio. Wow. I'm shocked. I didn't realize that. And then I started thinking, that would get the attention of the underworld. That would get the attention of the underworld just for you being here supporting what we're doing. You see, I I do like to make good investments. I, I really do. I like good investments. The Bible says, he that receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. What does that mean? That means this. If you support what God is doing in heaven, you're going to get a reward. 
I like that about God. God's economics are amazing. We hear all the time about Billy Graham, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, and the great life that he led, the millions of people that he led to Christ. But you never hear really about the guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord. And do you realize that man that led Billy Graham to the Lord is collecting dividends on Billy Graham's ministry? I like that. See, God has a different way of accounting than we do. Here it tells us he spent two years in prison. Actually, uh, it's implied, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more. It's implied, when you stop to think that he was in prison, all because of God's blessing in his life. Friends, I want you to know something. If you're a Christian here this morning, where you go, the kingdom of God reigns. Jesus said that. He said, when they say, oh, uh, the kingdom of God is here or there, he said, the kingdom of God comes within you. Yes, someday in heaven with him. But everywhere you as a Christian go, you bring that part of God into that situation, whether it's your work, your home, wherever you go, you bring God. That's neat. It's the only part of God that maybe most people will ever see is that. And so he says here, and the keeper of the prison. Well, let me, let me go back a little bit. But the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy that he wasn't executed. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So two times you find in this verse, the favor of God was still with him. Now, friends, you carry that where you go. You carry the favor of God. I've shared this often. God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong and the things that people have done to you. Why is that? Because they see that favor of God. And to some, you're a blessing. And to some, they want to kill you. They want to get rid of you. Why? Because you're a standard. You're, you're, uh, you're, uh, as long as there's nothing but counterfeit 20s floating around, you're safe. But if somebody has a real one, you're in trouble because you have a standard. You have an element of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you just keep believing lies and lies and lies and lies, your whole life's a lie. But Jesus comes along and enters truth into your life. There's now a standard. And you have something to compare what you hear to something that is absolute. Maybe not everything you've heard is a lie. It doesn't matter about the truths that you heard. It's the lie in the truth that'll kill you. That's how the devil gets you. And so verse 22, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph and all the prisoners who were in the prison and whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's hand because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Wow. In spite of of impossible conditions. What am I saying? God's going to bless you if you're his. If you walk in his love, if you stand for what's right, God will bless you. Now I found this. God wants to bless me and he presents to me a challenge, a test, and I fail it. I've got to pass the test again. You ever notice that in school sometimes, how that was? I hated that. 
makeup tests. He hated, hated to do that, but that's the way God works. See, because we have to learn something to get to the next level. Somebody said one time, new level, new devil. <laughs> because the devil's going to try different tactics to get you to not be about your father's business. Now, as we look at this chapter, and thank God we have the rest, verses four, uh, chapters 40, 42, 43, the rest as we look at, we can see that this was part of Joseph's character building. You see, there's time coming later in your life where if you choose wrongly, it will cost you much more than choosing wrongly today. In other words, the test today is a light experience of life compared to what is coming down the road. That's why I believe again that we meet each day with the freshness of the Holy Spirit in our life that he would encourage us so we'll make those challenges tomorrow. If God is not helping you in the decisions that you're making today, if he's not helping you, you're doing it on your own. I'm freewheeling. I'm the one driving. Jesus, get in the back seat. Better yet, get in the trunk. I'm driving. Where are you going? I don't know, but I'm in a hurry to get there. Basically, that's what it is. You're never going to go anywhere. The Bible says, commit your ways unto him. The Bible says, he will direct your paths and make your paths straight. That's what you want. You want your life to mean something in the inner life. I use that illustration, and every time, I'm not kidding you, I, 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 there's only one thing better than a junk store, and that's another one alongside of it. And I'll go in there, and I'm not kidding you, I will see trophies. Uh, I went up to Sun Valley yesterday and went into a couple of secondhand stores. And here again are these trophies for a nickel, and no one even wants to buy him for a nickel. You know, town's greatest athlete or whatever it was, doesn't mean anything. Is that what you want your life to be at the end of your life? God looks at you, oh, here's your trophy. It's for, for five cents in a, anything in the box. I look at that and I realize, God, I want my life to mean something that's invaluable. Not just five cents in a box, but God looks at you and says, all these people came into the kingdom because of you. Friends, that's what's valuable. There's only one thing going from this world into the next one, and that's people. You don't see any U-Hauls behind hearses. (laughs) When you leave, you came into this world naked, you're leaving it the same way. And by the way, I shared this many times. It was a very pronounced thing that happened in my life. I died. I died for about a minute and a half. It changes your perspective a lot on a lot of things. I recommend you all do that. No, just kidding. But I'm telling you, when you realize the last thing on my mind, December 5th, when I got up in the morning, as I was going to die today... I, 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 I was shocked. And what I, for those that are new here, I got what was called the widow maker. Only 12% of the people that get that heart attack live. 
I just happened to have that laying on a gurney in the emergency room because I started having minor blood clots in my heart. They kept breaking up, so I thought, oh, I'm all right. It's just indigestion. No, you're dying. And so I ended up at the emergency room from the time I walked through the emergency door to the time I flatlined was 16 minutes. They had just enough time to get all the little sucker things on me. Let me tell you something. It changes the way you think. Because you realize, hey, tomorrow ain't promised. Later on this afternoon ain't promised to any of us. So when you stop to think about that, be about your daddy's business. You're going you're gonna to make an impact in this world that is in parallel to anything the world's ever seen. Just as it was with Joseph, as it says here, but the Lord was with him. The Lord is with you. And you say, but Mike, you don't understand all these circumstances and problems in my life and my, my habits and all these things. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm bigger than the things wrong in your life, and I'm bigger than the things people have done to you. Get up and go. Hey, listen. What a wonderful God we serve. Friends, being in love with Jesus, brand new year, being about your father's business, you're going to be blessed. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to ask you something, just a simple question. What in the world are you living for? Well, you know, I'm just going to see another sunrise. I'm going to get up in the morning, kick the dog, kiss my wife, go to work, come home, kiss my wife, kick the dog, go to bed. And over a period of time, you'll find yourself getting up, kicking the wife, kissing the dog, going to work as well. The problem is you're in a rut. You know what a rut is? It's a coffin with the ends kicked out. Better have your life mean something at the end of your life. You're going to find you're the blessed one. Being about your daddy's business. So good. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you're saying, you know, I don't want another five years or ten years like I just had. I, I, I want God to do something in my life. I'd like to just say, after slipping Jesus in your pocket, that's why you're going to climb to the top. Yeah, that's why you're going to be president of your company. Just use my magic faith words and my everlasting money wallet for just $29.95. And if you call right now, I'll send you two wallets. No. You may accept the Lord and you might find yourself losing your job. You might find yourself like Joseph. But I guarantee whatever God's got in store for you and for me in the days to come, is going to be good. And you're going to get a reward in heaven for it. And if I got to go through some pain, just like Joseph did as I read his word, this isn't a message, friends, that people today want to hear when they go to church. They want to hear they're going to have all the money they can spend and I'm one of God's king's kids. I deserve the best. Gucci. No. No. Jesus said, if any man be in me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. People died on crosses. I got to die to what I want to do so I can say, okay, God, I want what you want me to do. But in the long run, in eternity, you're going to get a reward that outshines the sun. Friends, every day, every person is determining 
what position you're going to hold in eternity forever. How important then is each day not to play on the wrong side of the tracks, but to be about what God wants. This morning, if you've never prayed, accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask God to change your life. You say simply this. This is a verbal contract with the God who made you, creator of the universe, to change your life from death to life, from darkness to light. God will do that if you'll ask him. Let's pray. If you need to pray, maybe you're a Christian and you've had your own personal little pity party. And you go, well, I don't think I've had it as bad as Joseph has. See, see, again, when Joseph finally becomes prime minister of Egypt because he interpreted a dream, he had been in prison and a slave for 13 years. Oh, but I want it now, God. I'm an instant kind of guy. I want my instant McDonald's hamburger right now. And I want my instant on TV. Remember some of you that are old, Back when the earth was cooling and you had a pet dinosaur. And you'd turn your TV on or your radio on and you used to have to what? Wait for it to warm up. And, you know, there was always that waiting because back then things weren't real, very dependable. And so as it was warming up and it was quiet, you kept thinking, is it even going to work? And pretty soon it would come on and, oh, the happiness that came on. But I'm not used to that. I got an microwave oven. I don't even have to wait for it to cook. I slam that thing in there, put it on two minutes, wham out, out comes my hot TV dinner that was instant as well. That's the way we are. And we want an instant Jesus. Jesus, I want to turn the crank. Out pops God. I'm your Santa Claus. What do you want? No. Friends, that's the way it works. I'm the servant. He's the master. Getting back to it, let him, him be God. If you've not prayed, you're tired of it. I, I, I can tell you, if you're not a Christian, you're tired. You're tired like, you're dog bone tired. You know why? Because you've been doing it yourself. You're doing what God never intended you to do. We're going to pray. And you can ask God to change your life, and he will do exactly as you ask right now. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. And from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I believe you died on the cross for me. Your blood covered my sins. And you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And so I place my life into your hands right now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to love and to be bold for you. And thank you for eternal life that I never have to be scared of dying ever again. In Jesus' name, amen.